I'm not a scholar. I'm not an authority. I'm just someone seeking truth and righteousness. I read the scriptures constantly and thought to share what I'm discovering along the way. As I study, I get ideas and say them loud. It might be truth or it might be another pothole I step in on my journey. For me, the important thing is to keep pressing forward to the tree. I hear the fruit of the tree is delicious, and I am determined to find out for myself. So, <clears throat> the New and Everlasting Covenant. Which one? Pre or post Brigham, Brigham Young? You choose. So, I was studying the scriptures, and um, in the Doctrine and Covenants, it said, it was talking about Joseph Smith um, needing to do the translations of the Bible, how important that was, and that they needed to be printed. And I knew the story about Emma safeguarding them in her skirts. Um, so this seems to be something really important. And yet it is not printed within our Bible within. So what we have to do is we have to go to the study helps at the back of the Bible to look these up. And I thought, you know what? It's high time that I familiarize myself with what's there, given that God commanded that it be done. And um, Emma went to such great lengths to preserve it. So as I was reading, this is at the very beginning. This is in the book of Genesis within the Joseph Smith translation. I came upon these verses and the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant, which I made unto thy father Enoch, that when men should keep all my commandments, Zion should again come on the earth, the city of Enoch, which I have caught up unto myself. And that reminded me of the new song that we're supposed to be able to sing that's in Doctrine and Covenant section 84. Um, I'll just read um, that a little bit of that really quickly. It says, hang on, I'm navigating my way there. It's around verse 100, if I remember right. Yep, verse uh, 99. The Lord hath brought again Zion. Yeah, so it says, um, let me just back up to 98. Until all shall know me who remain, even from the least unto the greatest, and shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, and shall see eye to eye, and shall lift up their voice. And with one voice together sing this new song, saying, the Lord hath brought again Zion. The Lord hath redeemed his people Israel according to the election of grace, which was brought to pass by the faith and covenant of their fathers. The Lord hath redeemed his people and Satan is bound and time is no longer. The Lord hath gathered all things in one. So remember, we've had um, general conference talks that talk about um, bringing all things together in one in Christ. Um, the Lord hath gathered all things in one. The Lord hath brought down Zion from above. The Lord hath brought up Zion from beneath. So I'm assuming that means that the gathering in one is about 
restoring Zion to the earth as Zion people. The earth has travailed and brought forth her strength and truth is established in her bowels. Anyway, and it goes on. But it made me think of that because I was wondering about, I've pondered that song, the new song that we're going to sing that's in section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And it goes on to say in verse 22, And this is my everlasting covenant, that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward, and all the heavens shall shake with gladness, and the earth shall tremble with joy. And it talks about that in the Doctrine and Covenants as well, but I'm not going to look it up right now. Um, actually, let me see. Okay, so I found what I was thinking about. Um, it is in, let me hit present so that'll come back up. Okay, so we were just reading, and the earth shall tremble with joy. So right here in Doctrine and Covenants section 43, starting in verse 17, hearken ye, for behold, the great day of the Lord is nigh at hand. For the day cometh that the Lord shall utter his voice out of heaven. The heaven shall shake and the earth shall tremble. And the trump of God shall sound both long and loud and shall say to the sleeping nations, ye saints arise and live Ye sinners stay and sleep until I shall call again. Okay. And this is my, going back to verse 22. And this is my everlasting covenant that when thy posterity shall embrace the truth and look upward, then shall Zion look downward and all the heavens shall shake with gladness and the earth shall tremble with joy. And the general assembly of the church of the firstborn shall come down out of heaven and possess the earth and shall have place until the end come. And this is my everlasting covenant, which I made with thy father, Enoch. Now, another thing that I want to share with you is the general assembly of the firstborn. That's also mentioned in the doctrine and covenants. Hang on just a second while I go find it. Okay, so doctrine and covenants section 107 talks about the church of the firstborn. Um, it is right here, starting in verse 18, Doctrine and Covenants 107. The power and authority of the higher or Melchizedek priesthood is to hold the keys of all the spiritual blessings of the church, to have the privilege of receiving the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to have the heavens opened unto them, to commune with the general assembly and church of the firstborn, and to enjoy the communion and presence of God the Father, and Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And then the other place where it's mentioned is Doctrine and Covenant section 77. These are the questions that are being asked about um, uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation. And I'm looking at question 11. What are we to understand by sealing the 144,000 out of all the tribes of Israel? 12,000 out of every tribe. Answer, we are to understand that those who are sealed are high priests ordained into the holy order of God to administer the everlasting gospel. For they are they who are ordained out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people by the angels to whom is given power over the nations of the earth to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn. 
So this is really interesting. So this 144,000 are going to be ordained by angels who have this um, charge given to them over the nations of the earth to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn. Okay. So let's go back. Okay. I'm glad it's recording, but you're in my way. All right. Um, all right. So that is the everlasting covenant according to the book of Genesis. So, but that's not the everlasting covenant as I'm understanding it today, having to do with the temple and temple marriage and so on and so forth. Those don't sound like the same beast. So I decided that I would um, inquire of the Lord and search the scriptures and see if I could be brought into some understanding. So as I searched the scriptures, um, I found that before 1843, um, when, the, um, when the revelation was given about the new and everlasting covenant of marriage, the church was already had already entered into the new and everlasting covenant, um, starting um, at the beginning of the church from, I'm guessing, April 6th, because this is April 16th. 1830 section 22 so we're being told that that what's being done in the formation of the church is a new and everlasting covenant and that you have to be baptized to enter into this covenant because the whole reason why we got this revelation was that people were saying well i've already been baptized why do i need to be baptized again and so this is what was said this is a new and everlasting covenant and that you have to be baptized to enter into this covenant. And it was a covenant that was from the beginning. March 7th, 1831, um, we find out that God sent his everlasting covenant into the world. And the reason why, to be a light to the world, to be a standard for my people, and for the Gentiles to seek to it, and to be a messenger before my face to prepare the way before me. Oops, I don't know what just happened. Oh, I accidentally hit the I hit Isaiah somehow. Okay. May 7th, 1831, section 49. I have sent unto you my everlasting covenant, that which was from the beginning. So yeah, he has already sent that covenant, and we know he has because we have April 16th. We find out that's what they're entering into through baptism. So October 29th, 1831, section 66, the everlasting covenant we find out is the same as the fullness of my gospel. So they had the fullness of the gospel at this point. It leads to life and partaking of the glories. It's written of by the prophets and apostles of old. And you can see all the scriptures down there where I found mention in the Old Testament and also in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament where it talks about this new covenant. Now, um, one of the things that I wanna to mention to you that I didn't put in the presentation is I'm going over to section 42 of the Doctrine and Covenants. So these were the laws that they were given um, for the church. And these were received, it says here, on February 9th, 1831. 
So this was almost a year after the church um, was organized. Okay. And these are the laws governing the Zion that they were trying to establish. And one of the things that was in there, starting in verse 30, are laws about um, consecration. And behold, thou wilt remember the poor and consecrate of thy properties for their support, that which thou hast to impart unto them with a covenant and a deed which cannot be broken. And inasmuch as ye impart of your substances unto the poor, ye will do it unto me, and they shall be laid before the bishop. Anyway, and it goes on and talks about the law of consecration. Um, it says, Thou shalt live together in love. Thou shalt weep for the loss of them that die. Anyway, it goes on and on. So... This is a Zion society. It says, um, and all things, I'm in verse 41, um, and all things, and let all things be done in cleanliness before me, that thou shalt not be idle, for he that is idle shall not eat the bread, nor wear the garments of the laborer, right? Because they're going to have everything in common. And so, you know, everybody has to work. Okay, so that was given to them as a law that they were to live. Um, but we're going to find out they weren't able to do it. So then in, here we are in November 1st, 1831. And they received this law, the written out form of it in April. But they were put under this covenant back in the beginning of the church, it looks like, in April of 1830. Then they received this law in April of 1831. Now we're in November of 1831 and the preface of the Doctrine and Covenants and it says the everlasting covenant is broken and the saints have strayed from God's ordinances. It's actually a direct quote from the book of Isaiah. Um, and in the book of Isaiah, it says that because they've strayed, strayed from his ordinances and broken his everlasting covenant, that the earth is smitten with a curse. Um, so let's go on. Now we're in the next month, November 1831, section 133. The Lord sent forth the fullness of his gospel, his everlasting covenant, in order to. So now he's explaining why he sent the everlasting gospel, the fullness of the gospel, or the everlasting covenant. It was to prepare the weak things for the things which are coming on the earth, and to complete the Lord's errand, which is that the weak shall confound the wise. The little one become a strong nation. Two shall put their tens of thousands to flight. The weak things of the earth shall thresh the nations by the power of the Lord's spirit. Now this has not yet happened. And the reason why it ha hasn't happened is that we're no longer operating under the everlasting covenant or the fullness of his gospel. We broke that covenant when we refused to keep the law of consecration. Those who repent and sanctify themselves receive eternal life. The wicked are cut off from among the people and the wicked are burned to stubble. So now we're in February of the following year, 1832, section 76. Those of the celestial kingdom, okay, those that are going to be thrust down to hell where Satan's, uh, Satan and his angels are, according to Doctrine and Covenant, section 76, 
are those who didn't receive the gospel. They, this is going to sound really harsh, but they didn't receive the fullness of the gospel. So, and we're still under that condemnation. That's kind of a scary thought. Didn't receive the testimony of Jesus or the prophets. Okay. So we have, we have the teachings that come directly from Jesus. Um, if you look at third Nephi, um, chapter 11, for instance, he tells us what the doctrine of Christ is very clearly. He also tells us what the doctrine of Christ is very clearly in doctrine and covenant section 10 towards the end of the section. Um, and I can tell you right now, it's not the covenant path as we're following it today. And these are the ones that are going to the celestial kingdom are those who didn't receive the everlasting covenant. So there we have it. So when it tells us in Doctrine and Covenant section 84 that the entire church is under condemnation for taking lightly the things that they had already received, like section 42 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the fullness of the gospel, the everlasting covenant, he meant it. Moving on. March 1st, 1832. In Zion, Jackson County, they are to be organized into an everlasting covenant. If anyone breaks the covenant, that person shall lose his office and standing in the church, shall be delivered over to the buffetings of Satan until the day of redemption. Okay. They tried um, to establish this covenant in Jackson County, and it didn't work there either. April 26, 1832, God directs the establishment of an everlasting order and commands select leaders. Now, the entire church weren't under this order, but God decides to select specific leaders to enter into this order. Now, my understanding from the further reading I've done is these are the people who received the endowment of power later in the Kirtland Temple that had entered into this covenant. They are, they are to have their goods in common and everyone's needs should be met. God gives a warning not to break this covenant. And the soul that sins against this covenant and hardeneth his heart against it shall be dealt with according to the laws of my church and shall be delivered over to the buffetings of Satan until the day of redemption. December 27, 1832. A kneeling greeting was to be given by leader um, in the school of the prophets to the other members. Okay. So, right. So, Here's another witness that we have that some of them had entered into the new and everlasting covenant because um, the person who was in charge of the school of the prophets would kneel with his hands upstretched to heaven um, and would give a special greeting to those who were um, studying in the school of the prophets. And it was to be done as a token um of the new and everlasting covenant which they've entered into doctrine in december 16th through 17th 1833 section 101 when men are in the everlasting covenant they're the salt of the earth and the savor of men they're called to be the savor of men therefore if that salt of the earth lose its savor or break their covenant behold it is thenceforth good for nothing only to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. So in summary, the 
new and everlasting covenant that they had entered into um, at the beginning of the church um, was first established with Enoch. It is Zion, an order where everyone has all things in common. Those in the covenant are a light to the world, the salt of the earth. It is entered into through baptism. It will prepare the weak things of the world to overcome the mighty. Its token or symbol is the rainbow. Now let's go and see what was taught after 1843. May 16th or 17th, 1843, section 131 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Before we even get into this, though, I want to mention that sections 133 and 132 of the Doctrine and Covenants were not in the original printings of the Doctrine and Covenants. They weren't in the 1835 printing. They weren't in the 1844 printing. The only witness of Doctrine and Covenants section, I don't know about section 131 because I haven't researched it, but the only witness of section 132 was Willard Richards. The original document is no longer with us. Supposedly Emma threw it in the fire. That's some story that's been told third or fourth hand. Um, so that Joseph Smith was actually the author of it really cannot be confirmed. Um, the other thing that's interesting about it is, okay, so these two sections were not printed until 1867 under the direction of Brigham Young in Salt Lake. Like I said, they weren't in the 1835 or 1844 printings that we have of the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, that That's problematic. Um, then the other thing there was something else I was going to say about it, and I forgot what it was. Let's go on with it, and if I think of it, I'll tell you. Okay, May 16th through 17th, 1843, section 131. Celestial glory has three degrees, or heavens. To get into the highest of the three degrees of glory, a man must enter into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. To have an eternal increase, you have to be married in this covenant. Okay. Now, remember, before to enter into the new and everlasting covenant, you had to be baptized. Now, all of a sudden, you have to be married in the temple. July 12th, 1843, section 132. It must be entered into and sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise by one anointed to have this power. If not sealed by authority, the marriage is ended after death. The celestial glory they receive shall be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever, or eternal families, or eternal increase. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David are all listed as having entered into this covenant through the lawful taking of plural wives. That's a problem because Isaac, we don't have any record that he ever had a, um, practiced polygamy or had a second wife. Um, as long as innocent blood isn't shed, this one really bothers me, even if the person commits all manner of blasphemies, they will still enter into their exaltation. That's verse 26. This one bothers me. Women are given to men to multiply and replenish the earth and in the eternities to bear the souls of men. Um, this one bothers me. If Emma Smith doesn't abide in this law, she will be destroyed. Emma, who gave everything to the restoration of the gospel and continued faithful to her husband to the end. And yet she's going to be destroyed. I just find that ridiculous. Anyway, um, 
So those are the only two um, places where the Everlasting Covenant of Marriage is talked about. It's not in the Book of Mormon. It's not in the Bible anywhere. Um, and then we have in the Doctrine and Covenants a conflicting um, New and Everlasting Covenant. And that's different. Okay, so... Okay, so going back, let's do a comparison. So pre-1843, the New and Everlasting Covenant was first established with the Enoch Post. Section 132 lists many patriarchs who entered into this covenant through plural marriage. Pre, it is Zion, an order where everyone has all things in common. Post, it is an order where families are forever. Pre, those in the covenant are a light to the world, the salt of the earth. Post, those in the covenant are able to attain the celestial kingdom. Pre, it is entered into through baptism. Post, it is entered into through the covenant of endowment and temple marriage. Pre, it will prepare the weak things of the world to overcome the mighty. Post, it will provide a righteous seed to build God's kingdom. Pre, its token or symbol is the rainbow. Post, its symbols are known to those who've been endowed. They are not the rainbow. So as you can see, this is not the same covenant. I cannot accept that God would have two covenants under the same name. Um, and both of them be the path that we have to go through in order to be in Zion, to be in the presence of God again and requiring different um, modalities. It's not making sense to me. You're going to have to make up your own mind and figure this out for yourself. But I just wanted to present what I found as I was researching this. Thanks.